0: The Full Exposure Podcast is brought to you by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, in appreciation of the creative and artistic visionaries who enrich our lives through cultural connections. Hey, 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 everybody. How are you? What's up? Uh, Are you ready to go to the future? Because I'm ready to go to the future. Um, The future sometimes is here with us now. Um, This episode will also take you back to the future, okay? I don't want to mix any crazy movie metaphors, but uh, we talk about a time in 2006, 2007, somewhere in there, where I saw the future with Jason Sosa, our guest today, Um, and it blew my mind. And now it's technology that we all take for granted uh, you know, we even were annoyed by it, but at the time I was like, I am seeing something that just blew my mind and that was touch screen technology, uh, early kind of Google maps, uh, kind of craziness, touch screens, dragging around, zooming in on a big old screen with Jason Sosa in a bank vault in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I'm gonna do a terrible job of setting up this episode because these are complicated subjects, but our guest, Jason Sosa, is an amazing communicator. He's got an amazing story. He makes complicated things easy, easy for you know, slugs like me uh, to understand. That's why I needed to have him on and talk about the future and talk about artificial intelligence, talk about uh, tacos talk about, uh, the fact that he had a 0. 0.8 something, uh, GPA in high school, but now he's, uh, one of the most, uh, sought after people to discuss and work in the artificial intelligence communities, workplaces around the country. He's just a great dude. I've, I, I didn't know him well. I don't know Jason well, except that I've done two, I've done two photo shoots with him, um, all way back. 11 12 years ago and uh it's been interesting to follow him tedx speaker uh alumni of that i think two or three times he's talked to tedx around the country uh and i'm in uh, you're gonna love this episode because you're gonna go to the future right now and we're gonna look back at this episode in 10 years and go oh yeah <laughs> nfts sure yeah No problem. They are. I just paid for everything with Bitcoin or some other uh, blockchain thing, and it's going to be commonplace. But right now in this episode, um, you might have your mind blown like mine was in 2007, six, eight, whenever I first met Jason. Anyway, let's dive in. Okay. Let's just get into the future with artificial intelligence expert entrepreneur, chief technology at Futiri, a cloud-based software company, and uh, my new friend and, and the guy who I'm going to just uh, rely on and explain everything that's going to happen to us in the next decade and become commonplace. Let's explore the bigger picture with my buddy, Jason Sosa. Um, no, but, okay. So you were, you were saying that... Um, so, you had a plethora of investors in in one of your companies, some from the Midwest, some from coastal areas. And Midwest was a little more high maintenance in terms of their mindset, <laughs> or what? Well,
1: if you look at uh, the West Coast, their thinking is scope and scale. So, look at Facebook, Twitter, or any of these companies. They're thinking, how can I accumulate as many users as possible and monetize later? Yeah. And that's a mindset, I think, in the Midwest that is. Uh, Unheard of, right? So they're looking at unit economics. I mean, they're thinking of parts. I have a machine. I stamp, you know, yeah. boom, 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 boom. I we're Belt, manufi- man- baby. It's a manufacturing mindset. So yeah. their, their whole way and orientation of investing is based on that kind
0: of thinking. Sure.
1: And uh, that's a cultural you know, difference from the East or West
0: Coast. Huh. Interesting. Well, I would imagine, yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's also that startup fail fast, like that sort of mindset. I think we're we're a little more want bumpers on our investments, you know, you don't want to throw any gutter balls. And uh, I think it's changing, you know, I mean, obviously we've become more entrepreneurial and have some venture capital here, but like, I think for the most, I mean, we're miles behind Silicon Valley or like Wall Street or something well, like that. Well,
1: with, with COVID, uh, the, it's flattened the playing field. I mean, uh,
0: everywhere is where you need to be uh, so we can hop on the Zoom I'll call. i so dig and, into that a little bit just yeah. because just because everybody's working remotely and we all have access to each other like just through the web and you can Zoom you can do whatever and you can exchange ideas without being in the same room essentially. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh You know, it used to be that you
1: had to uh, be embedded into a community, and of course that still helps, right? But with with COVID, that really uh, did change a lot of things, and people have left the inner cities, they're moving to more rural areas um, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, But but I think that that's that's really changed the nature of investing, of starting a company, because you don't necessarily have to have offices and chairs and desks and... Um, all the capital stuff that you'd have to deal with normally.
0: I've often thought, what's going to happen to commercial retail? I think it's too early to tell, but it's like, if you had a a whatever, if you had 30,000 square feet downtown Grand Rapids or Chicago or anywhere, it didn't matter, and no one came in for a year and you're still okay. Uh, you might transform what your next office space is going to look like. It's not going to be 20,000 square feet anymore. A lot of people like to work from home.
1: I mean, I I find it in some ways I'm a lot more productive and effective. But if you are an extroverted person and you enjoy chatting to somebody at the water cooler or at the vending machine or whatever, I mean, that's probably going to be a little more difficult. But for those people that are, um, it's probably a discipline issue, uh, getting up every day and being focused on what you do, which is why it's important to love what you do
0: yeah it's funny how like if you're sitting in your pajamas and maybe haven't showered in two days, you know like it's it's still so easy to get sidetracked and it has nothing to do with whether you bathe or not, but like at <laughs> home it has that zone like uh it has its own like distractions, you know,
1: oh yeah, Which, especially if you have kids that are like knocking on your door and you know trying to be on a phone call and you know, yeah. the microwaves going and beeping, and you know, and it's it's really humanized uh, colleagues because in, in the past, you know, we had this professional facade we put in, and hello, Mr. Jones, and you wear your tie, and
0: yeah, um, but now you see kids running in and pets and dogs, and yeah, so it's it's changed some things. Yeah, the culture has definitely changed. Like you know, it started with what casual Fridays. <laughs> Yes. It was casual and it was like that was a big deal you didn't have to like wear khakis to work that day you could wear jeans yeah and then it went to the tip jar that was like oh if you bring a five for this charity you can wear jeans on friday and now just that just seems like another planet ago in culture <laughs> when i first got started i went to a, a chamber of commerce event and
1: i had a tie and i i get it was like a breakfast and i dip my tie in this maple syrup and i'm like trying to be you know, cool about it now i'm lucky if i wear like a, like a hoodie and flip-flops you know it's <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) it it does seem like the standards have changed and I think it's for the better I mean we really we shouldn't be we should be looking at people in a different way but yeah uh, it it is kind of based on the bubble you're from
0: yeah it's it's a it's a we all put on veneers but to have like a a particular prescriptive wardrobe seems kind of silly when you can just like dress however you think you should be dressed versus how they think you should be dressed, and it's just such a small thing to get stuck on that. Uh, you know, there's still remnants of that in certain places, but um, well, hey, Jason Sosa, that was great pre-roll. I mean, what did we cover? Oh, wait, we got to go back to tacos. We do. So uh, it's got to be corn. It has to be authentic. Yeah, uh, corn tacos, limes and salsa, yeah. and that's it. What about cilantro and onion? Oh, Are yeah, that's a
1: prerequisite. Okay. Absolutely. And yeah, no, no sour cream. Oh, come on. No, none of this. Uh, no, uh, my
0: wife is not going to like to no, hear that. No, no, none no. None of that sour. Stuff. Cream. That's like, that's Taco Bell stuff. <laughs> Well, that's, how, that's the supreme. It's supreme. <laughs> you tell me it's not supreme, the taco or burrito supreme. The grande supreme. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. All right.
1: Okay. I'm with you. My wife. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the difference of like pineapple on pizza. You know, some people are into it. Some people aren't. I, I don't judge. You well, know. there's
0: nothing authentic about sour cream on a taco is what you're saying. Uh, there is nothing authentic <laughs> about sour cream on a taco. Okay, great. Well, my wife Kathy is going to, uh, she's going to have to change. Well, and based on this podcast. Not that she's listening. I, 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 I would just say, if you, haven't, if you haven't tried an authentic
1: taco, then uh, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, cool. Uh, okay, so let's reset. I want to set a scene where I remember meeting you. I remember having a photo shoot. Now, there was... I can't remember the timing, whether it was... Um, before or after this Active Site Art Prize thing, which would have been a year one of, of Art Prize, do you have a memory if we did two photoshoots? Uh, I photo think shoots? it would have
1: been two thousand seven. Okay,
0: yeah, we did we did two. Okay, so then there was, uh, but the one that blew my mind away, Jason, was we were uh, you were had some temporary space on Wealthy Street. Wealthy was just coming alive. Wealthy Street, that whole corridor was you know just starting to turn. And I went to this building, and you were. Uh, in this bank vault, this old bank vault, <laughs> there was no money in it no, just an empty black room, and that was the only requirement I needed just a dark room and I was doing a, a photo shoot, and I, you were my assignment, and we met and in there, you were showing me again, two thousand and seven was a different time touch screen technology and you 're showing me maps, like early versions of like what could have been Google Maps with all this data and you were telling me that you could like click on something and it might be a, a corner restaurant and you could get it. You were telling me about the future Jason and it's here 10 times over hey. and it's stuff that we take for granted. Yeah. it's everywhere. And I remember you demonstrating this, this map and dragging stuff around and my mind blew up. Like I, I didn't understand it. It's like, we're going to talk about NFTs, non fungible tokens later, but like it's kind of I was kind of was in that space. It's like, are you telling me we're gonna watch movies on our phone? Like at broadcast television? How can we watch broadcast television <laughs> on a tablet that's not connected to anything? I mean at that time we were just happy to have fast internet. I mean <laughs> yes, yeah, the high-up. So what was that company, those early innovations you were working on that? You were one of the first people thinking about touchscreen technology. So what was the baseline? And Take me back to that entrepreneurial yeah. startup that so
1: you So at that time, I had an e-commerce business, and I was selling camera cases on eBay and other places. Um, that whole business kind of was another story, but it started by happenstance, and it was pretty much on autopilot. So I had a, a lot of free time on my hands, surfing the web, looking at Gizmodo, and uh, got to connect with a few different um, a few different founders that were working on this technology. It was A lot of it was open source, so it was open Mm -hmm. open CV, open frameworks, um, and there was some laser technology, and and I I kind of simplified it to the extent I don't need to understand the the physics behind how this works. I just need to understand what are the pieces of the puzzle I need to pull together. So it's basically just a cardboard box with a white uh, paper uh, on top of it, like a picture frame, with a camera inside. And then I would drag my fingers, and it, the, the software would track the X and Y position of my fingers. Hmm. So, you know, it kind of took that a little bit further. I said, well, what if I put a projector on it? And then the, that, then things start, you know, snowballing. So in early 2007, I'm running around with the two-by-fours on top of my Jeep. I'm going to every major company in West Michigan that I can think of uh, just to try to, like, there's something here. Right, right? There is some value here of something. Yeah. Um, how do we commercialize it? How do you do something with it? And I was... I, I. I I didn't have any experience in tech. I had no like um, network of any people that I knew or uh, any major accomplishments yet at that point. So it was it was a it was, I was kind of a risk, I think, for a lot of people. So I really appreciated uh, Hayworth bringing me in, and mm. I got to work out of their R and D facility for ActiveSite, and we built a eight foot multi touch wall. Yeah, so it was really cool.
0: Now those are standard. Those smart working yeah. boards, you know. I mean, you need to have that. Another thing uh, you mentioned, uh, Hayworth, and I know that brad reuter who would went on to uh he was at hayworth you met him there but then he went to universal mind which was a client of mine forever and i always felt like i knew what was coming next because i was doing case studies of what they were doing with software and things and i remember seeing this table when we did video of it It was all ipads it was like a basically an air hockey table and it had all these connected <laughs> ipads on it yeah, yeah and you could like flip a, a note across different platforms. And it's like, you're going to sit in a meeting in a conference room, you'd be taking notes and you just like toss it over to your neighbor and then they can write on it and then send it over. And it was like, what are you talking about? Like crazy. But anyway, point was uh, Hayworth gave you a break at that particular time yeah. to do some things. And then what, what eventually happened to this technology and how were you sort of, where was your mindset and talent in terms of like, growing and thinking about what touch screen could do and where did it kind of end up with that company where you eventually exited out
1: yeah the the, the magic of it wasn't so much um, in the the touchscreen itself or any of my technical talents it was more my ability just to hustle and stay persistent when it It was hard. Yeah. Uh, So um, I ended up taking it to a bunch of people and and really had a lot of difficulty getting traction in West Michigan. There just wasn't the risk tolerance to, hey, let's drop everything and start a company. Right. Uh, 2007, yet, was not a major entrepreneurial thing to do. It wasn't cool, I guess, to start- At least in tech. At least in tech, right? Yeah. And so uh, I ended up uh, reaching out to people in Boulder, Colorado, and they welcomed me with open arms, and I dropped everything here flew there and moved in two weeks, Uh, got accepted into the Techstar program. Um, and then the real uh, the, the the product changed a lot because it wasn't so much about the touchscreens; it became more about the face uh, detection, the face recognition side. Mm. So uh, the 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 capital cost to invest in this touchscreen technology was too expensive. So the the web cameras are abundant; they're everywhere, and they're 20 bucks. Yeah. So we just made a web camera that could be a sensor; it could detect age, gender, emotions. Uh, attention time, and we worked with uh, companies like Reebok and Walmart and uh, PepsiCo um,
0: and started placing them all over the country. So, so, what was the early need for face recognition? We all have that on our phones now, but like what in those days, again, late 9, 10, early 2011, is that kind of the time frame you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, it was
1: a 2011 12. There wasn't a lot of the um, off the shelf tools that exist today. So this was more, it was, this wasn't for security. This was for um, analytics. Mm-hmm. So think of Google analytics in the real world. It was a camera that could tell you how many people are looking at this end, this uh, grocery store end cap. Mm. Or um, if you're looking at a TV screen, how many people are there? Is it, a, is it a man? Is it a woman? And then it would change the ads dynamically based on who's looking. Oh, wow. So it was a, it was akin to like a minority report no uh, kidding kind of uh ovens well, of a whole
0: can of worms because then how do you teach and we'll talk about ai later is how do you teach okay well uh we have a a white 52 year old dude looking at this end cap so let's feed him more cheetos and dorito lads or something like that but i mean you could like speak into a lot of like uh Uh, stereotypes, misconceptions, racial stereotyping, like I'm sure it was fraught with that or that temptation, I suppose. How did you think about that at that time?
1: Well, it's funny because the the tech
0: um, is is
1: only so good, um, but when I would show it to people, they would anthropomorphize this technology. So they had this feeling that there's this uh, computer that can read their minds or it could know more about them. So they would get excited if it said they were a young adult versus an adult, you know, things like that. Um, it would, uh, you know, there, the, the technology has come a long way, but it's it's uh, it was mostly used just for aggregate statistics, so it was totally anonymous information. Sure. Um, and the more attention you feed it, so if you're that man looking at that ad for Cheetos, and you give it a lot of attention, it'll it'll learn that it's appropriate to serve that ad to that demographic.
0: Okay, yeah, it yeah. just layer on top.
1: And- yeah, Cheap. exactly. So if you're if you're a woman walking by, you know, you see a totally different ad. And if you're a young person versus old, that was the general idea.
0: Huh. And then did that get actually, that technology made it into stores and just kind yep. of like, yeah, wow. Yeah, we
1: we, we got uh, into this pilot phase, um, but we also entered into a stage where it was called uh, the Series 8 Crunch at that time. So there was more seed companies than there were venture capital dollars to fund them all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so one of our larger competitors had uh, uh, gotten a pretty... Good investment from Kleiner Perkins, and uh, they weren't able to get their product market fit, so it made a, a real big challenge for us to, to raise the next round hmm. so the company ended up getting sold and um, I sold that I actually built an offshore office in, in Singapore most of our developers were there we got some funding from the Singapore government
0: and um, yeah and then the company sold in 2015 Wow yeah is it like a uh, one of those stereotypical success stories where you know you built something up and you were able to exit out and now you have a lot of freedom to decide your next move? Did it give you some time? I'm not asking if you're rich. I'm just saying, like, I mean, there's these modalities of stories, Mm -hmm. things I don't understand about capital investment or, you know, venture capital where, you know, you do a round and you have a hundred million dollars all of a sudden, right? Well, it's not really a loan, but it's not really an investment. I'm sorry, this is so basic, but it's like, you know, you have people... And then their jobs essentially seems like they're losing all this money because they're investing in all this stuff and hoping it lands. Can you just help for me and for all of us to just kind of like say, okay, baseline, here's how, like, why round one and so round two and how the capital gets spent. But at the end of the day, the founders still, you know, when you exit out, they're still getting chunks of money. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And that, that happens. I mean, you have situations where you have a really good exit and you own a big chunk of equity and then you, you get your, your payout. That, that certainly happens. Not with every startup. Um, a lot of startups um, you know, fail. <laughs> and that's just the reality of right. things. Yeah. You, know, you run out of capital or things like that. And, uh, and then you also have these instances where you do end up selling your company, but you don't end up rich. You know, so those are like an aqua hire kind yeah. of scenarios. You just want to make sure that the IP goes on, that the investors are able to...
0: Build on top of what Build on top of, bought. yeah,
1: exactly. So it's, um, it, is, it is a uh, kind of a mixed bag, depending on... But it's, the ones you hear about in the news, those are the ones that are the yeah, huge success. You don't hear about the guy who <laughs> you know, lost it all. But you know, the thing is that you train your brain for four or five years to do the same thing and to, to build a product... Um, I don't care if it was a major success or not. I mean, that definitely takes a toll on you because you build an identity around who you are and what you do. And, um, and then I think it's a little bit of getting used to. I think the first year or two, I was kind of like just walking through the grocery store, like, what do I do with myself? You know, because I had all this, you know, uh, I had my you know, 10, eight, 10 meetings a day or more. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you don't.
0: And, yeah, and you're in this, uh, like in space kind of floating. Exactly. Like there's no more stimulation coming. It's, that's kind of how uh, the pandemic felt to me. It was like I felt numb for a while, and then I started to feel things again. Like, and it was because I wasn't running around and doing, you know, things and that I look back now and go, "Is this really worth my time?" Now I'm trying to value my time more, or of what I really want to do because I didn't have to do those things during pandemic. Things I thought I had to do. So it's helped me recalibrate. But the, um, my point is, so you were, you were in this, you know, figuring out your next move. You had sold a company, and you're like, "Okay, what's next?"
1: Yeah, I was fortunate to uh, connect with a, a Techstar colleague and uh, who's opening a venture fund. And so I got to be on the other side of the table. So I was vetting deals and got to meet with inventor entrepreneurs that were starting their businesses. So that was really cool. I got to spend some time doing that. And uh, then I got to work on um, on being a management consultant. So I got to see lots of different types of products. Worked on VR headsets, 3D body scanning, wearable technology. Hmm. Um, I worked on so many different projects and saw so many different types of teams that I got to see patterns emerge, and um, and really focusing on a go-to-market strategy, fundraising, and, and product. So that was my, my main focus, and uh, I learned I learned so much from that, and um, you know, continue
0: to do a lot of that today. Talk about the the um, you know the impression of Silicon Valley and startups and, and venture companies and all of that is there's a tolerance for failure in that world, and there's a lot of people that have lost people a lot of money. But it was like it just something just just quite click and maybe if you did that in west michigan in the 70s or 80s you'd been blackballed from the community you know it was like oh but in in the this other world you can have two three or four major oh, oh, terrible failures but you're still you're still held in quite high esteem enough that you might hit a home run and get partners around an idea is that your perception and experience to some degree yeah I mean, obviously you can't burn people and burn bridges right but. right i mean it's more how you handle those failures
1: yeah. um and oftentimes founders that have gone through a, a startup or two you know you're battle tested so you're um it's actually a safer bet i think for investors that are going after a second third time founders because you're not uh having to learn on the fly like you did when you were you know 25 years old or something like that sure
0: yeah well, yeah, you learn by, uh, well, the greatest lessons are when you really screw up. You yeah, that's yeah, like, an expensive education.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had a $3.5 million education on that. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's funny, too, because as a founder, you know, on paper, you're a millionaire. You know, but yeah. in reality, you know, it's a totally different story. So um, you know, things can change really fast. And it's, yeah. it's a fast-moving uh, thing to be in. But I can't imagine um, doing anything to grow
0: faster as an individual than to be an entrepreneur. All right. So you mentioned education. I just uh, can you tell me what your GPA was in high school? Uh, my GPA was zero point nine eight. Zero point <laughs> nine eight. Yep. You had less than a one. Yeah. Of it. And <laughs> and then you took that to college, right? Like I know.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't go to college. Um, I, I went to hustle school. I just, I just. My, my dad was an entrepreneur, and my dad never learned to read or write. And so he would buy properties, he would start businesses, and he would put me in situations where I would have to do those kinds of things. Huh. So and I never understood the uh, maybe it was just my learning modality. I'm, I'm I'm very auditory in how I process and retain information. So I had a hard time just sitting still sure. and like looking at something and, and uh, there was no purpose to the mission. You right. know, it was like, you know, figure these things out. You know, I think Elon Musk describes it as a right why teach somebody the mechanics of a wrench when you can teach them the application by showing them this is how you use a wrench to solve a problem. Uh, so I, I did miss that in school, um, yeah. and but but I, I loved to learn. And so uh, having, after leaving school um, and then working in a factory as a welder for a number of years, um, I realized this is not where I'm going to be. Yeah. I, I need to break out of this. So I, I started studying and learning and um, uh, using every creative method possible to... Uh, Accelerate myself uh, and to get upward mobility. Networking with people, using LinkedIn, all mm-hmm. the tools that were coming on at the time; those were but big how
0: up. did you navigate ninth through twelfth grade? butting against and being perceived in many ways by your peers and by faculty and whatever as a failure or someone who's really struggling?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I was told I'd be a ditch digger and, you know, all these other things. My best hope was to work in HVAC or uh, some kind of trade school. Right. Um, And so I I think it's important for people to know that, you know, just because you don't necessarily... Fit the mold, right? Of this cultural conditioning of you go to school, you get good grades, and you go get your job, and then right. there's this, still this mindset of you're going to get a pension or something. Yeah, and I think our generation is
0: largely, and younger generations are realizing that's just a load of shit. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. Well, yeah, I mean it's an empty <laughs> promise, and my, uh, you know, it even happened to my dad, who's, uh, you know, he worked for, diligently for the company for United Airlines, and just, you know, uh, he retired and saw maybe three or four years of his full pension retirement, and then and the company you know they declared bankruptcy got the got the legacy costs and you know what they thought would would be a particular income in retirement which would have been fantastic It wasn't what they had planned on no. now unfortunately, they they had had done you know they were diligent in saving and doing some other things so it wasn't a disaster but for most people the idea of just being a company man and buying your cottage on the lake and a fishing boat and living out your days like that promise is gone
1: yeah it's totally gone so the the even going through that path you still have to hustle i mean i think that's what we talked about earlier and, and i think the um if you're going to apply that hustle you can either pick it to make someone else rich or you know to do something on your own and, and for me it wasn't so much about being rich it was about how can i uh, add to who i am as a human being mm-hmm. and, and grow and expand myself uh, so that was my that was my outcome So what makes you
0: what what kind of was your the special sauce that you were able to kind of develop where you could get traction that wasn't in academia, but you're like I have value I think I'm have great intuition in this particular way of thinking like what what was that for you. So uh, I, I went the opposite approach. Rather than going into a deep specialty, which
1: everyone said you need to have a, a niche, you need to have your specialty, I, I went the other direction. I became a generalist and I embraced that. I skate on top of the the tapestry of all of these different topics and I look for patterns that uh, connect them together. Hmm. So out of that, I can see new opportunities emerge from one uh, segment to another and um, really... From that, I, I found opportunity to sell, buy and sell something or to um, start a service, a web service, which I, I had on radio and I sold that. So, um, and, and also just the value of collecting good people um, when you meet yeah. people and you know, making sure you maintain those relationships. Um, these are all the things that I learned over the years that were more valuable, I think, to me than memorizing a particular fact or a math problem or something.
0: I'm a firm believer in video and photography production. If you surround yourself with really talented people, uh, you, they all make you look better and smarter and a better outcome. You Absolutely. You know, like I, 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 I try to hire the best people I can afford to hire to help me to do stuff. And then when you hook on like Mark here, like you know, we've been working together, and he's doing his own thing too. But like you know, six, seven years now. And that's like great to have a shorthand, but it, you know, it applies to life. It just doesn't apply to whatever. But if you, if you're building any company of any organization or enterprise, get the best talent you have. So that's a whole nother side of it. I had one other thought I want to get to before I forget it, is that in this side of you kind of being a generalist and thinking about uh, how people might respond to technology, you're on the finance side, putting together deals or venture side, you're on a management side of some things and sometimes you're very much on the forefront. I mean, these are all different career pockets in what, three to four year little pockets that you've sort of yeah. changed? Yeah, you have to learn a language. So you have to learn how to speak finance,
1: you learn to speak code, you learn
0: mm-hmm. to speak legal.
1: And then the more you add that, those capabilities to yourself, uh, it really expands um, your, your social worth in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There is this social currency and, and people, you know, when they meet you, they want to know what have you done before? And so I was really focusing on that narrative mm-hmm. of, of, so what have you done before? You say that a thousand times a day. So right. you tell your story. But then you also have to have um, a degree of confidence in just your how articulate you can be and describing things. Um, and then that makes people feel comfortable. And it's sales. It's, it's really just a sales uh, aspect. Uh, the harder part was overcoming, I think, the, the limiting beliefs that are just encoded in our head, yeah. you know, uh, of, of what you need to do to be successful Right. So uh, and then the way of the polymath coding.
0: We were coded to believe oh, a yeah. particular path. There was a map. You had to take that road, and the destination was a certain income, certain health care, and uh, you know some security. And that's all encoded now.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the illusion of security is broken down, and now there's this. Um, there's an allure of of variety, <laughs> right. so all of your your all the things you desire are outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so being able to uh, push yourself beyond your 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 terror barrier, your fears to get to get to those things will expand
0: who you are as a person. That's really an interesting concept to understand that the allure. What allures you is usually outside your comfort zone. So that's why entrepreneurs are like, oh, what's next? Or I learned this. Or how do I develop? Like, I'm still grinding at photography. I want to get better at photography. It's like I've been doing it forever. But I still have a desire to learn something I haven't learned. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, successful in that way. But what I'm saying is I'm just taking the... um, This idea of there's always another rung of the ladder that people were just wired that way. Do you think is it just like uh, otherwise how boring that would be to like exit and scale out and then you have nothing left to do. Well, it's just myth of I need to retire someday, you know, right. so
1: that I can sit at home and drink beer and watch TV. I mean, I don't know what else. I don't ever want to stop working because I'm not really working. It's it's work is play. Yeah. So um, I really enjoy what I do, and I think that's uh, an important ingredient because you need this emotional fuel to carry you. Mm-hmm. And so often people are fighting that emotional fuel because they they dr- you know go to the the drudgery of sitting in a cubicle farm and t- you know typing on a computer all day and. Uh, and they hate it, but they don't do anything about it. Um, and so then you die inside very slowly. So you're either growing or you're dying. And I think that if you pick a path of uh, following the uh, allure of um, of novelty and and variety, uh, yeah, there's a lot out there. And there's in your next deal or opportunity is as close as the next person that you meet.
0: Well, I'm a huge believer in that. Like, uh, you know, you always talk about. I was, you know, I've been. Li- I listen to a lot of podcasts, but like, there's so many stories of like if I hadn't gone to this thing or this conference or this, walked into this restaurant and then walked up to somebody's table and actually, like, my life would have been different. You know, like, it would have, if I had turned left down this hallway instead of going right and I bumped into somebody who then struck up a conversation and three years later were working together on something, you know, it's like those random things, but it's just consistently putting yourself out there. And I think like, my impression of your story is that you've had to also k- kind of keep... Uh, Reinventing is not the right word, but you, there were points along the way to me that it seemed like you had to reintroduce who you are in the moment of like trying to also figure out what you're doing and who you are next. Does that make any sense as a question? Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. Um, y- you keep... Uh, as you... As you start this path, right, of going into the unknown, you run across your own fears. You Imagine like the, the, the metaphor of going into the woods at dark. You don't know what's out there. You hear the, the noise of the wolves and coyotes and whatnot, and you're kind of freaked out. and You don't have a lot of certainty or something to grab onto. And so those, the, uh, that internal battle is the most meaningful and uh, most difficult to overcome. Um, but once you get comfortable in that space, you can venture anywhere. And you build uh, additional references in yourself of what you're capable of and what you can achieve. Um, And so the the freedom that you get from doing something like that um, is well worth the sacrifice of of, uh, perceived security. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and it can all be... um, I mean, we've just seen it like, you know, uh, yeah, just what you think is a secure industry all of a sudden isn't, you know, like Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And there's examples in the pandemic. There's other examples where... Companies don't pivot to technology fast enough. But I have, a, I have a question in your purview from like 2005 to today. What has surprised you in some way that you thought technology would transform humanity uh, that maybe you didn't quite see coming? And then maybe what is something that you saw coming and it was just like, it just took time to get here, but that here we are. Um, Probably
1: the culture wars. That's probably one of the bigger surprises, I think, Um, and just the bifurcation of of the rich and the poor and the exacerbation of inequality. And and all of these things are not not necessarily technical or or technology, uh, but but they're uh, accelerated by the technology movement.
0: Sure. Um, so, Because of cap, that lack of capital to access those things and um, scaling across uh, parts of the world where they don't have access?
1: No, it's more the, the AI that runs these um, social networks that reinforce your confirmation bias, oh, sure. what, what you want to see, you see more of. Yeah, um, and so you believe that's your bubble, and then every op- opinion outside of that is, is stupid, right? But so, there are
0: also those algorithms are fueling rage, and once they see all this activity with rage, it gives you more of those things to give you enraged by. So it's like there's a there's a loop to it that uh, comes up. So, but just as but that's kind of uh, is that AI or is that both driven by. Uh, Greed and influence in terms of, you know, returns on needing clicks and thus ad revenue and thus, I mean, how intertwined is AI with is just just reflecting like a mirror what we're learning and seeing because AI has almost become able to understand humanity and our mindset and how it works, the bad parts of it. Or what we're easily triggered by, or is it the result of uh, this confluence of? I don't know. Is there a, an evil person behind the curtain, so to speak? You know, that is just benefiting from this, or is this more of like we have to understand ourselves as individuals better as we interact with technology?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily think there's a bad person sitting behind somewhere, but I don't. I do think that the intention of these algorithms. Are there to drive a specific result, and they're, uh, it's you're you're a human being. Um, we haven't really changed much in 250,000 years. You know, we're still these anxious apes in a lot of ways, and we have we're you know pointing a supercomputer at our brains every time we log into these things. And this is you know really a part of the social dilemma. You know, uh, documentary that came out, um, and that that stuff uh, it's real. I mean, it these, this technology is far beyond our ability to comprehend. Uh, for most people, they don't know how Facebook makes money. Right. Uh, they don't realize that they are the product, yeah. and their attention is being sold. Right. Uh, and so uh, that 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 was um, to the degree that it almost toppled democracy would have not been something I would have considered back. I, I was I remember sitting with a, an early engineer of Facebook in two thousand seven. We we're in Palo Alto having a drink, and he was telling me, "There's this company, Facebook, and it's going to it's going to change the world. They have all this information and all these people." Um, and he was telling me, "Just watch out. Here, like here, it comes." And he was he was spot on. So, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I think that was probably one of the bigger uh, surprises for me.
0: Wow. So, what was a no brainer to you working with this interact? You know, is it the idea of being able to move um, and have companies like Amazon, where everything, you know, everything's getting so fast and so on demand, which is right in our wheelhouse of like. Now we're accustomed to being frustrated after just seconds or minutes. You know what I mean? Like, uh, It reminds me of that one Louis C.K. bit uh, where he's on an airplane and it, he there was a Wi-Fi and it was like when the Wi-Fi and airplanes became a thing. And he became... He was like, he thought... <laughs> the, the premise of the bit is just basically he was enjoying it. Like, I'm in a plane. I'm in a chair in the sky and I have Wi-Fi. I'm surfing the internet. And then it went out like five minutes later and he was like slams his laptop down he's like this sucks like, <laughs> it's like like that so quickly became like the uh you know our baseline we used to become so accustomed but what was the the kind of the no-brainer or or the thing that just seemed undeniable when you look back 10 to 15 years ago and where we are today in 2021
1: um uh, yeah the uh, in, in the old days, you would go to a payphone, and if you had to stop and you were a salesman or something, and you had to you know call your secretary and get your messages. So the, there's a a gap between when you need information to when you when you receive it. Mm-hmm. So that gap has been shortening every single year, year on year. So now the only main limitation is really just you know human biology. You know how many thoughts can you process at a single time? Um, I, I I I'm really excited to see some of the things going on with with uh, Neuralink and uh, Elon Musk and what he's working on. Um, uh, we're we're approaching a time. Um, what is Neuralink? For, so if you're for not me? familiar with Neuralink, it's it's actually literally drilling a hole in your head and putting a sensor in your brain.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, that's some real uh, that's, that's, that's some, some real sci-fi stuff.
1: transhuman stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, we're we're probably I would say a decade away
1: from seeing probably more widespread adoption of this type of technology. It'll mm. it'll begin with more specific use cases around um, uh, you know disabilities. Right. Uh, but then, over time, um, this will uh, mature. And uh, if you had, would you, if, would you put a, a chip in your brain if you knew that you could augment your capabilities or send a message at the speed of thought?
0: Probably. I mean, I, I, if everyone I, else was I, doing it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be the first, uh, you know, five percent to, to to do it. But mm-hmm. like, um, but you've thought a lot about wearables and this type of technology, and I think you you gave a, a TED talk probably. Six five six years ago TEDx Grand Rapids yeah and I, I watched that in preparation and you were talking a lot about wearables and like Fitbits or whatever it wasn't even this might have been pre-Apple Watch even or right about Apple Watch time but like you know you were talking about wearables it's like they're gonna be in your clothes they're gonna be like but that idea of then taking something internalized inside your body and I think you were even talking about like lens, you know, like Google uh, Google Glasses, were the or what were those called? Were those Google? Yeah, glasses? like Google Glass. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I remember putting on a prototype of that in Detroit. I was at some some Google get to know Google Glass, and there was people. You'd talk to the glasses, and then you could like use eye movement to like open different menus. But it was it just it was still too clunky. You know, it was like the earliest <laughs> or whatever. It was like a rotary phone of that type of stuff, but. I want to get back to your your knowledge of wearables, where this transforms, where now eventually we're talking about actually embedding this technology within our brains or in our bodies or on our eyes or wherever it might be.
1: Yeah. uh, The augmented reality space uh, has yet to fully open up. We're we're going to create a layer of reality on top of this physical world. Um, And it will gamify things. It will unify things. um, It will, um, in many ways, complicate the world. Uh, but I, I, I think uh, Apple's working on some technology around those. There's some expectation that they'll release it in the next year or two. Um, it may or may not be glasses. I don't know what the. It might be a contact lens. I mean, we don't. I don't really know the the vehicle and how it's going to be, uh, you know, distributed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no question that that uh, um, computer vision is accelerated to the point where we can. Uh, map an entire room and everything that's in it and pull it into a virtual space. So if we could put on a VR headset, we would see this table as like a, you know, glowing table of lava or whatever. Sure. Um, and actually feel it. Right. But but it, it our, the appearance of it would be different. So, uh reality itself is going to begin to distort with deep fake technology and uh face tuning and
0: <laughs> so all the things know about that are possible. Physics and quantum physics and these things like do you, have you has that been an era cuz it's almost like this, I've always been fascinated with the idea I have a beloved friends and family in Madrid, Spain, and they're living in this alternative universe. I can call and now I can FaceTime, which is revolutionary. Like yeah. I can talk That's to you. That's Jetson's in my, level stuff. The, right it there. totally is. It's amazing. <laughs> but it's so accepted now. And I remember running up phone bills in high school of uh, one or two, I mean, 1986, $7 of like, mm-hmm. I, I would call Spain and talk for 20 minutes and that phone, that that call would cost me like sixty-eight dollars, which was like probably all the money I made that week. You know, working in a, in a, I was working like front desk at a at a at a health club. You know, handing out towels with lockers, <laughs> or you know, here's your here's your locker key. But. Um, you know in terms of quantum like this idea of a virtual world skinned on top of our physical world yeah like simulation theory the, yeah. the idea that this may not be the base layer of
1: reality so if you look at where pong evolved to where it is now where we have virtual reality i mean that's just in the course of you know half my lifetime yeah so um i i, I can't imagine that over the course of uh, millennia you know perhaps we are not the we're not the uh, um we're not the original, (laughs) a layer of reality that's here. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of bizarre to think about, but when you start going into it, a lot of it does kind of make sense.
0: Well, it does. And I remember my dad was always kind of an early adapter of, of some technology. I mean, we had a Commodore 64 and I remember playing, um, star, uh, the, you just shoot like asteroids. It was maybe called asteroid. I don't remember, but it was like, you had to use just the arrow keys to fly a jet or a spaceship, and then, and then Atari came out, and now look at that. Like I mean, now it's fully immersive, yeah. communicate social platforms built on top of gaming. Like that whole world exists, and I I don't have young boys. Uh, I have girls, and the, you know they they spend, you know minor 21 19 and 15 and they spend a lot of their world on a in a space and in a world communicating uh but they're here with me in a room you know like there's this whole other digital world happening all the time but what does that mean for what does anything about that give you pause or excitement or both about like uh this virtualized the vr sort of trend
1: um I, I see a little bit further beyond, I think, the novelty of it. My main concern is that we end up in this kind of dystopian world where every sen- everything is measured. Um, you, the, the interaction you have with a coworker, were you more dominant or less dominant? Um, you know, uh, how long were you there? Did you stand six feet apart? Or, you know, whatever the requirement might be, um, and, and, and especially with working from home, uh, do we do screen captures now? Are we key logging people? Mm-hmm. Um, to what degree of, uh, of invasion of privacy are we going to allow? Yeah, Um, and as we become more dependent on these augmented brains that we've,
0: uh, did you see that Black Mirror episode that's famous about like yeah everyone's giving each other ratings and with their interactions and it destroys people's lives and some people got canceled and then they had immediate like it's it's happening today in China I mean that's uh, the social credit score and and there's nothing to say it won't
1: happen here so uh, the 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 more dependence we have we have have... some
0: dependence on that I mean we have that with rate your driver and they rate your passengers you know like there's those interactions but taken. Much further, right? I mean, to the extent of can
1: you get this apartment? Can you travel? Can you get a flight? Uh, can you do the, you know basic uh, freedoms that you enjoy today? But without a social credit score that's high enough, you know, you need to do some community service to remedy that. <laughs> you know that that's that's basically what what uh, is happening in, in some parts of the world.
0: Really, that's a, like on the ground. That's a, happening today. Okay, I'm thinking about wow, yeah, happening today. And so, what's stopping that from coming here? Especially when people can make a buck at that kind of uh, vetting system.
1: Um, Americans, <laughs> culturally, um, you know, we are, um, I think, more libertarian in, in our views um, against those kinds of things. So, it, it's probably cultural. Yeah. Um, but in, or unless there is a an immediate need. Uh, where that could like a 9/11 event that sh- shifts people's mindset and something like that. But if you take it a little bit further, and let's let's go out a little bit more than you know five years. You know, because I can see in five years we have augmented reality and we can explore these worlds and how mm-hmm. cool it is. You know, you and I can shoot you know virtual blasters at each other in a, in a garage or something. That's cool. But you take it out a little further. Now you have um, sensors in everything that you do. Um, you're monitored. Um, you know, if you have an employer, they they can. Uh, your, your score goes down if you smoke a cigarette or you eat the wrong kind of you know, salami sandwich or something yeah. for your health score. Um, Boy, so uh,
0: I mean, there's just a, a lot of things that are- This bit... eating thing or scoring really worries me. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, they put, they put
1: sour cream in their tacos <laughs> oh, yeah. and then you're like, no, zero. no, 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 you Negative get a zero.
0: <laughs> that's not acceptable here. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, those, these are challenges. Many of them are this moral thing, which also exacerbates our, our, the divide that you talked about because some people don't think, see things as issues, no. like moral issues, especially when you're talking about technology. And, you know, that old proverbial, you know, slippery slopes are everywhere around that. And, and the way that technology can move now so quickly where it becomes so commonplace in a matter of months or days or like even the speed at which apps, like, I mean, everyone was, um, what's the, what's the, the, the voice app? Oh, I forget it. Oh, Siri. No, no. The, um, it's a social platform. Oh, Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yeah. And now everybody's like, they had 9 million subscribers, in a month and now they're down to like two million everyone's like oh it sucks because it didn't deliver on a promise you know uh, it's but, a it's an interesting feature i think I, yeah. I heard that uh there was the slack ceo was on a clubhouse
1: with the clubhouse ceo and said now ah, we're just going to take this feature <laughs> you know <laughs> i mean like why not right. so uh, it's a little hard to build a business around a feature so who knows <laughs> who knows how that'll turn out
0: well my point is is like how how quickly like you know, I mean, things are vetted out, uh, and that now it's happening with Ethereum and Bitcoin and like, you know, there's so many high stakes put on what's made in the next decisions that are made in the next month, two or a week or a few days. Like, where do you, you know, where did you jump in on GameStop? You know, like all this <laughs> stuff that happens is pretty remarkable. But, uh, well, I brought up Bitcoin and Ethereum, so let's talk. I, I mean, um, and I, I want to make sure that I'm just not picking your brain, so we're going to get to like actual like the, uh, things that w- you definitely want to talk about in this conversation in terms of what you're doing and and where things are going. But I have a hard time understanding um, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which is attached to the blockchain. I mean, I think I've, I've, last month I've tried to learn about something specific more than i have in my life at least in the last 10 years in terms of technology and how it might impact me so nfts and where do you think this is ha- uh, going to go in terms of the benefits of having a um, you, you know a trackable uh, token that can be attached to vir- this virtual world
1: yeah it's it's important to understand that most of the infrastructure that powers our economy and our world is built on tech from the 1970s I mean, it's, it's old, outdated, antiquated technology, especially in the financial side. Um, it's because it's reliable, it's robust, and don't change it. Um, and in and, and, and so doing, the, you know, this decentralized movement has really tra- changed so much. So you could see, you know, someday you, you get your car title as an NFT. And then your wallet pops in a you know, picture of a Subaru or something, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that there's a lot of power in that this uh, auth- certificate of authentication is basically what it is. But because it's powered through the blockchain and with smart contracts, you can have stipulations on those things. So if you're a creator, uh, you can get royalties on on content that you produce that is, you know, purchased. But with anything, I think with NFTs, it's only as valuable as the underlying asset. So if you have a Banksy, you have an NFT of a Banksy, that's gonna be more valuable than making a funny, uh, you know, GIF on your computer and mm. just posting something. So there's a fad with it right now, but I think there's still going to be, um, uh, how do you commercialize this and how do you make it actually
0: solve a real problem that's practical? Uh, I think that's what's what we're going to see in the next couple of years with NFTs. What sort of landmines do you see around the the energy consumption of mining coins and and creating these the blockchain itself to track the stuff and creating the value. It seems to, that's a gray area for me. I don't really, I know that it takes enormous energy and carbon consumption electricity to generate this thing that you can never touch, see, I mean, you can see it if you're on a digital platform, but is that something, I mean, is it helping to pivot to... uh, Greener energy is that going to drive any sort of like innovations to help be more efficient in how these things are mined?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's where we'll see a lot of innovation because there is a financial incentive to ensure that we can um, uh, reconcile some of the transactions that are happening on the blockchain. So it's, I don't think it's a matter of that it's really carbon and it is carbon inefficient, but it's more a, 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 a the status of, of our um, of our of our energy grid and where we get our power from. So mm-hmm. that I mean, it really could uh, move toward a cleaner energy source. So I think there's
0: a few different initiatives underway to power clean mining operations in Bitcoin. Okay, so I picked your brain enough around like just hey, here's somebody who's spent their life thinking about how technology impacts people, humanity. So what are you excited about working on now professionally and? You know, what's really exciting you uh, when you think about the near term in the next 18 to 24 months, which in some respects is forever, but for most people, that's just a blink.
1: Yeah, yeah. In the tech world, everything is a, a blink, but it happens, so much happens in such a short time. Um, I'm a little concerned of hyperinflation, <laughs> um, just kind of given the state of the economy. And so I, I am pretty bullish on, on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 200% year over year returns, uh, it's a better gold than gold. Um, I'm am I'm a Michael Saylor convert. So I think that you know there's a lot of things um uh, as far as economics that are worrying mm-hmm. about where where we go this K-shaped recovery where the rich get richer the poor get poorer and then there's a, fertile, a further divide in it from a digital point of view yeah. of this, the sophistication of what they can do with these these tools. So if you don't know tech, you know, you're you're going to be left behind. And that's that's it's it's sad because we have um, an education system that still teaches kids like it's the 1990s, yeah. like it's the, how we grew up, right? It's, it's going to be the same thing for for our kids, 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 and that's just right. not the case. So uh, I think those are some of the things that concern me. Um, mm-hmm. Where I see technology headed that I'm really excited about, um, I, I really love the disintermediation of some of these large institutions, which goes back to the Bitcoin conversation. So mm-hmm. that's, that's one aspect of it. It's empowering individuals that know how to use these tools uh, that I can use them effectively uh, to have more freedom. Yeah. Uh, so those are some of the things I'm I'm really excited about. And of course, augmented reality plays into that, and, and VR, and those things are really sexy. Um, but on a on a day to day, you know, uh, what can provide value to me mostly? It's 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 uh, it, it comes down to
0: economics. Yeah. So you think that you're saying that Bitcoin's going to go to a million dollars probably in ten years? Yeah, I think in five. Five. Yeah. Accelerate it out. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, but I meant also this part, other part of that question is like you physically working professionally right now on, you know, uh what, what are you doing day to day? You've done a, a plethora of things in the last 15 16 years that are all exciting and innovative in venture capital, technology, developing things, uh, you know, management, side writing deals, all this stuff. So what are you doing today professionally? And what are you excited about in terms of that?
1: I'm really fortunate. I get to uh, be a bit of a dreamer as my role. I'm the CTO at Futuri Media. So uh, I get to have my head in the clouds and think of strategy and, and find better ways to, to grow the company. So you're and, back to being a generalist. Uh, back to being a generalist, yeah. And and, and then part of that, too, I'm, I'm an advisor for a few companies. And uh, so I, I like to have some, some variety. Um, I have a, a core focus of things I focus on, but it's also nice to be able to uh, to give back. And so uh, I, I really enjoy mentoring um, and I really enjoy the, uh, you know, the, the the entrepreneurial spirit of doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the risk-taking aspect is, is something that, i' oh, it's just in your blood, I think, if you do this enough and do it long enough.
0: I keep going back to your father because uh, I keep thinking about him not being able to read or write, but was an entrepreneur and a hustler and you not being having a very low GPA, not set up on paper for any type of success that you're doing now. So what do you attribute that sort of, uh, observing your father, not undoubtedly struggle, but still be successful in his own way. Like, have you uncracked and thought about that? Like, how does that make Jason Sosa as persistent or, uh, tenacious or whatever it requires for you to do what you do? Without a t- college, you didn't go to college. Nope. You barely graduated high school. Uh, I didn't graduate high school. You didn't? Thank nope. goodness. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> no, I I, I I ended up
1: getting my GED though, so. Okay, but well, that, that kind of
0: so. I'm just, I'm gonna put down a score. I'm, I'm gonna say. I get a little you get tick a, mark on A the little list. tick mark that you actually have a GED. <clears throat> well, um, but I mean, but you also, so how have you navigated this world between. You know, it's also kind of a blue chip, uh chippy, uh, you know, very kind of uh clicky world. And pedigree means a lot if you went to Harvard or Stanford or uh MIT or wherever you went as a pedigree and you have zero pedigree. So what what uh how are you able to move in these same rooms? And I'm saying you should be able to, but I'm saying that had to be a barrier. It has to be thrown back in your face at times, I'm sure. Well, I think it was more just a self-imposed limitation. So you
1: have this imposter syndrome that you struggle with, and I don't have the degree. I don't have the credentials. I don't have a whatever, whatever. But eventually, you just get past some of those things. And you're like, I'm my, the vision of where I'm going is more compelling than the constraints that hold me back. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going into seeing my dad. He, again, he couldn't read or write, but he's fixing machines. He's fixing lawnmowers or whatever the case he's fixing. And I go, how do you know to do these things? He says, well, they weren't made by gods. And so I took that mentality of they weren't made by gods, but I applied it to AI. I applied it to the challenging uh, um, aspect of these these new technologies that for some are, are just so intimidating, they don't even want to begin the journey. Yeah. So I tried to break it down in the simplest way possible. Learned some of the terms and the way they describe these things, and ended up going to to Stanford and and to MIT and mm-hmm. talking to people. And after I talked to them for a little while, I realized, you know, I'm I'm just as smart as these folks. You know, sure. they're just uh, they're just more privileged. And so um, it can it just kind of comes down to how badly do I want it and what am I willing to
0: sacrifice in order to make it possible. Um, so that's that was- Well, at the, the thing. end of the day, it doesn't matter. You still have to want- So yeah, if you, you can be privileged and go to Stanford or Harvard or MIT or wherever, just wherever you think it, people, the world needs to be at Oxford or wherever. And, and it doesn't matter what discipline or field, you still have to want something at the end yeah. of the day to pursue. And that gets us back to this ambition and desire that's always a little bit out of your grasp. But it seems to me, which I'm just marling at, Jason, is just that you've- you've had this meandering, wonderful career in something that most people said you, you had no business stepping a toe in.
1: Yeah, yeah in most businesses, I've, in most industries, I had no previous experience. Mm-hmm. So I qualified myself. Uh, and I think that, that was probably the, the most important um, decision that I had to make from a very early age, which was um, I'm not gonna allow the limitations of society or my environment dictate to me my future.
0: And that's something that uh, I'm, I'm very happy I did every single day. Yeah, but that's hard in practice, especially like you know if you're feeling beleaguered. You know, how how many times have you wanted to give up? Like I'm sure there's points of extreme frustration. Oh, what the what the (laughs) fuck am I doing? Like what what is happening? Yeah, this is
1: never going to happen for me. I'm just being an idiot. I'm wasting my time flying all over the country. I remember being in Palo Alto, uh, sitting down meeting with an investor in my very early days, and he was so angry with me. He almost he left the meeting. You know, he just got up and just wanted to storm out. But he sat down and asked me on these angry questions and but i actually emailed them back afterwards and thanked them for that because these difficult experiences um, as hard as they are they help you grow and many people shy away from things that are uncomfortable but if you kind of get used to the hard you get used to the uh, the struggle and you pick your heart um, you, you grow faster so it's it's kind of the same thing when you pick up a video game and you put the setting on hard you get better than if you put it on easy so right. that,
0: that's just a, a thing about the same with life, flying a drone you know, you put yeah. it on sport mode, you're gonna crash probably a little bit more than if you're on a super safe uh, program mode.
1: Yeah, being safe isn't actually that safe. I mean, you don't no. tip-toe, tiptoe your way through life
0: hoping to get to say, you know, safely to death. You know, so it's you want to you want to you want to live a full out, right? Well, yeah, it's hard. You know, it's it, just like anything else. It's hard to. Uh, Apply that. I think we have most, you know, the the human, my cycle is you can get very passionate about things, especially as a creative and as an entrepreneur too. I think it's easy to not get excited about things and not really do then the hard work of actually completing something or actually taking something and actually deploying it to market or to take something that you haven't done or seems hard and find a way to do it if you can project Value of going through that battle, and that seems pretty universal to me. Whether you want to be a yeah. doctor, an attorney, or own a gas station, like it, it doesn't. Yeah, there's this overemphasis on these external factors,
1: right? You have to have the right pitch deck. You need to be able to do finance. You have to be able to do whatever our sales, but um, the. The the lessons that are not often taught is just really how you deal with the internal struggle of your own self doubt of the imposter syndrome of mm-hmm. of the of fear of failure or when you do fail how do you you know deal with that um, the identity part of it so uh, those are things that I think um, I'm really grateful for going through I went through instead of going to college I I put went to an Anthony Robbins. Uh, fire walking thing. And that Did was my really? that was my college. I, I walked on fire. And, but it, what it was, it was this idea that I have, it wasn't like magic or anything mystical. It was just that I can overcome a limiting belief, something I didn't think I could previously do, now I can do. Yeah. And then you build these references and you build these references. So that education of going through that was more valuable for me, I think, than college because it gave me the power of understanding questions, of understanding limiting beliefs of my own internal psychology, mm-hmm. which is something that I use every single day.
0: Well, I think if there's anything in common between you and Anthony Robbins is just that you're great communicators. I think you're a good salesperson. I don't mean that in any demeaning way, but you have to be able to communicate ideas and you have to convince people of your passion and your understanding. Like you have to underst- you have to convince people that you have an understanding and it's something that that they quite don't grasp or they see value in you pulling them in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how much that weekend or that week cost you at Anthony Robbins? Uh, I put every single penny I had on four credit cards. Like I, 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 just, I went through you every single model? card. I split
1: it up. I'm like, okay, I, this is like a $10,000 course. Was it 20,000? Okay, put four on this one, three on this one. It's like, damn it, this is a lot of money. And uh, I thought I was making a stupid decision, but um, in retrospect, it was the best decision I ever made because uh, it gave me the tool set that I needed to, to navigate this world.
0: That's amazing. Uh, that is truly incredible because it's almost like uh, you could have perceived that or maybe it could have been for some people almost a slot machine thing, yeah. like a last resort. You're down to, your you're borrowing your last nickel to go to a seminar
1: yeah,
0: and cool. hoping it pays off by Anthony Robbins. Kind of like it, college debt, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> touche, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that that's great. But, uh, you know, I mean... Um, what was the belief... I'm just fascinated with Anthony Robbins too and I love that documentary that came out that also was pretty unvarnished and, and um, you know, addressed uh, kind of... It was interesting to see behind the curtain in terms of that, but just like what... Uh, what He must have been ingesting all kinds of things by him and then where do you see that sort of mindset of these uh, coach-mentor types that are in this space? Because I also think he's also... He's also selling so money. He's selling dreams and the conversion of that. So anyway, I don't want to... Speak well, into it, coming from was...
1: West Michigan, I mean, I, I actually got started by doing a Quickstar thing. If you remember the old days of Quickstar, uh-huh. it was this uh, another form of Amway, and they gave me a book called The Cash Flow. It was Flow on Qu- the web, dude. It was, it, you it, didn't have to it go was, to people's garage.
0: Well, was, you still had to go to a garage to pick stuff up, Yeah, right? but it was like an
1: early Amazon. It's kind of yeah. what they were trying to build and as a multi-level thing. But uh, they gave me this book by Robert Kiyosaki called Cashflow Quadrant, and I read it, and it broke down the, the model of you know of being an um, employee or a, a self-employed business owner or investor, and it, it, it gave me a new frame of reference to how to view the world, and because my previous conditioning was you go to school, get a good job, and mm-hmm. that's your life. So now that that wasn't necessarily the only path available, I needed some tools to equip me with that, uh, and I, I found Anthony Robbins quite by accident trying to find a file on Napster, and you know how they get mislabeled, and
0: sure. you know,
1: you, you find somebody, and I was like, I like this dude. I found like one of his cassettes. Yeah, one of his cassettes at a garage sale. I think I found some more there too, and uh, you know, and then really it just, it it helped me unlearn because you have this Mm -hmm. cultural conditioning of what is acceptable and how you should behave by your parents and your church or your whatever environment. Um, And then, so to break beyond that, everyone looks at you and says, you're absolutely insane. What are you doing? Don't you realize you're, you're going to destroy your life. Don't you know that you are, you know, you need to have a backup plan and I'm like, you know, my, my, my ambition, I think, today is now to live in a van by the river. You know, that's actually a life goal. It used to be my greatest fear. So, you know, there really isn't anything bad that can happen to you if you just push yourself and, um, you know, go beyond uh, the comfort zone of, of familiarity.
0: Hmm. Have you been able to, uh, I, again, I'll get off Anthony Robbins in a minute, but I, I, you, I'm sure you, you spent time, you know, in this group with him, walked on fire and had this, you know, incredible week or weekend, whatever it was. And then have you had subsequent either contact or other types of seminars where you're like, that was successful for me. And now uh, I, d- is that a resource, that sort of modality of learning in a high-tensity environment? Is that something you've wanted to repeat after the kind of that aha experience? Yeah. I, I wish
1: they would bring that to schools because they they make it about a cognitive experience. You know, it's like you're, you're getting spoonfuls of information just shoved in your mouth and that's supposed to somehow make you a smart person and productive member of society. But what they're really ignoring is the gut level nervous system of, of education that's in your body. Yeah. So like right now, I have no clue what I'm going to say to you until it comes out of my mouth. Right. I'm not, I haven't rehearsed or thought about this or sure. planned it. And that's ultimately like how you get in this state of flow and that's yeah. how the best stuff comes out of you because you're not trying to control it. Fire isn't controllable. So if you can uh, figure out how to help kids tap into that power of the emotional fuel, so emotions are often things that we poo-poo and we look down upon, like eh, whatever. It's just all emotional, you know, uh, you know, kumbaya shit. Yeah. But what, in the end of the day, you know, there is something that gets you up early and makes you stay up late. And yeah. if you can tap into that power and figure out where it comes from, and uh, you can harness that in the way of, of discipline with your skill set, uh, you can accomplish amazing things you didn't even think was possible.
0: Yeah, it's amazing too. I was listening to you what <laughs> this is. I I sort of feel this way talking to you because it's out of my purview, but I'm I'm sort of fascinated with Sam Harris and his, I just listened to a podcast that blew my mind about free will and choice and the illusion of free will and all that. He's like, uh, you know, he's trying to explain how that isn't a thing. And, but it's amazing. But what clicked for me was just this idea of it's like nothing really bad can happen to you necessarily. Like you can have bad circumstances for a while. But like the the honest, authentic, you know, and all these, I, I hate the word, that those are played out words, but these sort of like well thought out, intentional, brave moves, generally if they're done without malice to anyone and, and in the spirit of self-improvement or growth or business growth or family growth, whatever it might be, uh, it, it rarely could ever come out horribly to the point where you've destroyed your life like some people were would might have fed you saying what are you doing going to this weekend thing yeah yeah exactly i mean
1: you you have to go beyond what you think your limitations are yeah. uh,
0: otherwise you're just going to get more of the same mm-hmm. i mean that's that's the options that we have all right final thoughts we've been going at this for a minute but is there anything that you want to make sure that we cover uh that we haven't we've just been all over it's been a i love this conversation but I'm not the best host to take Jason Sosa and like show your expertise and knowledge across the sectors that you've had an impact in throughout your career. So I apologize for that, but it's just like this is fascinating to me. So what? Yeah, I mean, I think I
1: probably if I would share one thing is that I, I had I've accomplished a lot of really amazing things and interesting things in my career and, and things that I've done. But if you're somebody just just starting out. And, you know, I I had every reason not to succeed. I had kids. I had a a job as a welder. I was making minimum wage. I had a a bad GPA. I had no college degree. So I think that um, I hope to be an example for others that are saying, you know, I can't do it. This can't be for me. That's for people in Silicon Valley. That's for people uh, elsewhere that have connections. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want it bad enough and if there's a fire in you, uh, you know, you can find a way. And it's possible. You can get there. But it won't be overnight. It'll take a long time. And it'll be, it has to be worth the sacrifice.
0: Well, I agree a hundred percent. And I've, I've lived that truth as someone who is, you know, not, not completed his education in, in college and higher ed. And I'm just, I'm fortunate like you have to have found something that um, I'm passionate about. And I can't think of doing anything else. The yeah. fact of like the idea of working on a a salary or going to the same office or working remotely to with the I just that's it's not even in my vocabulary anymore, like of how I think about the world. But be like a betrayal to your soul, I think (laughs) to sit on (laughs) do like spreadsheets all day or something. (laughs) Yeah, and there's been times economically where I was like, well, maybe I should go get this job or maybe I should go do this internally for some other big company and just be safe. You know, that was these were conversations I've had in the last few years, you know, as the my industry's changed due to technology, the democratization of technology in terms of who can make a good photo our phones take great. You know, I mean like it, it used to be uh, in the film days, you know, you needed a professional. No one could expose film properly. And that's (laughs) the world I started in an analog photography 25 years ago. So the idea now that, uh, most of the market is gone in terms of still photography. And, and I was lucky to pivot to video and motion. And, and then now we're in this world where things are being consumed, but the amount of people that can do this also, uh, baseline levels out what people will We'll spend for it so there's not a premium often for in this world and I wish it were different but, uh, but that's the good and the bad of, uh, of this interconnectedness and this you know access that we have to technology the other parts that I don't like are also transforming the world you know we have news events of, of <laughs> you know look at the trial in Minneapolis you know right now we have evidence because somebody had a decent thing in their hand that could they just record video you know Mm -hmm. so anyway uh I I'm 100% inspired by you because I also you know I think it's uh, amazing that you have this story I also wear uh, as a chip on my shoulder that I don't have some MFA in photography or film studies unless you have to unlearn (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) well yeah we could go on forever about you know academia and that world and how insular that is and actually how disconnected it is from the day you leave with a diploma. Totally disconnected from reality. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for this. I, I'm sure we're going to talk again. Hopefully, uh, you know, I want to touch base in a year or two and just see, uh, you know, timestamp this and see where we'll probably all be wearing beer headsets. Nice time capsule. (laughs) Yeah, it will be. Just like the photo shoot was in the bank vault. That that was a moment in time that just like went crazy, Uh, blew my mind. I couldn't hardly imagine the world. I knew it was coming, I didn't know how. And now it's so commonplace, it's unreal. And you were in this bank, dark bank ball playing with touchscreen technology and Overlink. It's just amazing. <laughs> what a cool thing, man. Thanks for popping in and coming. Uh, I know you came in from Holland, so thanks for getting the GR in my studio. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me in. All right, man. Thanks, Jason. Now, okay. Let me just, let, I just admit right now, this was one of my favorite episodes of Full Exposure because of two reasons one is it's such it's going to be so interesting to look back at this conversation in what a year and a half three years five years ten years and we're going to look back at this and go these guys were talking about the combustion engine basically of the internet at the time talking about nfts talking about blockchain uh talking about um AR and VR when we're all going to be like sitting in a Jetson's uh, augmented reality world. And who knows if even podcasting in this platform is going to exist in this way in five years, in 10 years, who knows? But anyway, Jason Sosa, my my thanks to you, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for blowing my mind again and uh, making uh, everything that you do to make these Uh, complicated, hard-to-understand concepts of technology, uh, easy for trolls like me, and um, it's just great. So to go, I'm just so inspired by your story from nearly a high school dropout to to the upper echelons of, of artificial intelligence technology and thinking about the future. You are the man. Thank you, Jason. Um, check out the episode page at uh, fullexposurepodcast.com. Video excerpts of are our, our up of Jason and our portrait shoot. And uh, yeah, these little snippets of the conversation we've had in video format are a lot of fun to look at. Little appetizers to the full meal, so to speak. Uh, just make sure you don't put sour cream on those tacos if you're having tacos tonight. All right. Hey, everybody. Let's go have a great week. Let's go get it. All right. Take care. The Full Exposure Podcast is brought to you by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn in appreciation of the creative and artistic visionaries who enrich our lives through cultural connections.